Father, we just want to say thank you for the testimony shared tonight, and Lord, for the great things that you have done, and uh, Lord, we want to also thank you for the great struggle that we've been engaged with at Union, and it has brought about much patience because there's just been a lot of trials there, and yet, Lord, you've brought us through, and you have closed that chapter uh, in, in the work there, and we thank you that we can go there Wednesday night and hold a joint service with Union for a change, rather than them being here. And Lord, we want to thank you for the other testimonies of answered prayer, of your protection, of your love. Lord, we thank you for the church and the fellowship you have given us in it and the family that we share here. Lord, we thank you and rejoice with Leah that she has finally been able to retire and and uh, put that behind her. And Lord, we just want to Thank you that in a very special way that Renee will be able to come home and and be with the family on Christmas. Lord, we just thank you for this. and We thank you for opportunities to witness. We thank you that, Lord, you enabled our church as they came together less than a week to give out all 5,000 Christmas tracts. And, Lord, we just want to thank you for your goodness and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take just one minute. I want you to look over the prayer list, if you would. And uh, we're going to ask you just to go ahead and take that home and pray over it. Pray for our president. Uh, If you pray for anybody, you ought to pray for uh, President Trump. How many of you heard the quote from uh, Senator Corker of Tennessee this week? After he was assaulted for two days in the media, he said, I finally understand just a little bit of what our president's been putting up with every day since he was elected. And uh, so I want you to pray for him and, uh, um, and uh, pray for our governor and our mayor. And uh, there, there is nothing you can do for these men but pray. They do not want God. They don't want anything in the Bible Uh, pray for them. Amen? And and our city council, pray for our police officers that are out there. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They're they're threatening another uprising in the Palestinian... uh, There's no such thing as a Palestinian, sorry. Uh, In in the West Bank, and that's another one too. That doesn't exist. Uh, There's just some really rotten people in this world that want to destroy the nation of Israel. Pray that they don't get it done. Amen? And um, uh, pray for our soldiers. They're still all over the world, still in harm's way, still putting their lives on the line every day. And uh, uh, then uh, pray for... uh, Paul has an unspoken. Uh, Pray for union. we still got a little bit of work to do. The inspector was there. As I told you last week, the, uh, we passed the plumbing inspection, uh, but the boiler inspector gave us a list of several things. And as of Thursday of this past week, yeah, today is Sunday, uh, uh, actually it was Friday, we have everything in line. We just got to get the parts ordered in and get the work done. And uh, then the boiler inspector, if he is a man of his word, and we believe that he is, We'll close that folder, and then we'll be lean and clean at, Uni- at Union Baptist Church. All, all the, we'll be able to. Uh, uh, I told, I think I told Brother Dave this morning or Brother Henry. I can't get wait to get Union out of my head. Take our Bibles.
and turn to Revelation chapter 4, if you would. The last several Sunday nights, I don't know that I really planned it this way completely, but we did the life of Joseph and the life of Mary, the faith of these people, and tonight we're going to look at the journey of Jesus Christ. We often think of Bethlehem's manger and we say that we believe that God came an awful long way to meet us, but I I want us to start where where Jesus started, and that's in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Uh, if you want to know what heaven is going to be like, these are the two chapters in the Bible that you need to study. These, this is the only point in the Bible where God really pulls back the veil and lets us see what eternity is going to be like. And let me put it for you in one sentence. It's going to be about the worship of God. And that's why... We put so much emphasis on the services of our church. That's why we ask you to, when we sing the hymns, that we sing them with all that we have. And, and when we read the Bible, and really, when we take an offering, every part of the service is about worship to God. Because when we get to heaven, that's all we're going to do. And... Just to give you a little idea, if you really want to understand how big God is, here's the best way I know to do that, is it is going to take all of us and the countless millions of angels in heaven, all the saved people, all the people of faith from Adam and Eve until Jesus calls that last one home, it's going to take us all of eternity to explore the greatness of and the goodness of God. If you want to think about how big God is, that's, that's a good way to do that. It, it will take us all of eternity. And if you look here in Revelation chapter 4, we're not going to spend a, a great deal of time, but in verse 1 it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And it describes the throne of Almighty God. And at the end here, it says in verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That is praise that is given to God the Father as He sits upon that throne. And it describes it here. And I will tell you, our, my mind it just falls very, very short of, of really making this 
uh, what is being explained here. Here we have John, a first century human being, looking at the very throne of God and trying to describe it. Uh, my wife will remember this years ago when she was a little girl. There was a, uh, an evangelist. He made a movie, tried to make a movie about hell called The Burning Hell. And it was really didn't go very far, but it shook people up. And then he tried to make a movie about heaven. And you know what? The cameras and things, it just, just didn't go very far. Because to describe the things that are here as in sight of a rainbow like unto an emerald, I mean that, I love the color green. I don't know about you. And uh, emeralds are beautiful stones, but could you imagine a emerald colored rainbow? And do you wonder, well, we won't go there. People want to take the rainbow as their symbol. And really, what it is, is a symbol of the glory of God. That's, that's why they want to do that. They want to demean the glory of God. And, and we live in a world where the greatest things are hated and despised, and the most shameful things are exalted. But that's not where Jesus started out, let me tell you. And you look at verse chapter 5, and... And I just want to make a point of this, and this is the whole point, first point of the message tonight. Chapter 5 starts out with, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and without, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So, immediately, John, as he is looking there, he describes the throne and the glory and the praise that's given to God the Father. And then he notices that in the hand of him that sits on the throne, there's a book. And it's written on the front cover, the back cover, all the inside, and it's got seven bands wrapped around that book, closing that book, sealing that book, so that no one can open it. And then a search begins throughout all heaven, throughout the entire known universe, for someone who is worthy to step between those twenty and four elders, to have those four mighty beasts part the uh, asunder so that he could reach and take that book out of the hand of him that sits on the throne. And John was so overcome as, as the reports came back. There is no one here. There is no one here. There is no one here. And look at um, uh, verse uh, 4. He says, And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And John's hearing these reports and it just whelms up in him and he is overcome and he begins to cry and weep because no one is found. And poor John, he just had no clue what was going on. I'll tell you what, you and I, we'd have been weeping long before this. But, and one of the elders, verse 5, says, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prepared to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. 
You see, what was going on here is an exercise in worship. Proving that there are no equals to Jesus Christ. That there is no other being in the universe, not among the mightiest of the angels, not among the greatest of the great. No one comes even close. This was an exercise exalting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This elder was looking at John and he said, Stop it! We know what's going to happen. This had been repeated before. This was something that the universe, the heaven was prepared to do. And when it gets done, we have... Look at the... Uh, the we have the prayers of the saints in verse 9, and they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And we go to verse 11, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Well, if you know your math very well, 10,000 times 10,000 is what? One million. And then it says, and thousands and thousands. So this crowd is not going to be small when we get to heaven. Amen? Uh, I, I rejoice. We en- I enjoyed that choir song this morning. That, that was just as good a choir song as you're going to get in any church. But we had, what, about 20, 20 people in our choir, maybe 15, 18, 20 people, something like that. Probably not even that many. Can you imagine what a choir of 5 million, 10 million people is going to sound like? That's where Jesus lived. And you see, with, you, you need to understand the things that Revelation 4 and 5 are yet future as far as we're concerned, but it's not future as far as God is concerned. God is not controlled by time like we are. He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He looks at time like we would read a book. Well, that doesn't even work, because if we're going to read a book, how many of you go to the last chapter of the book, read it first, and then you decide whether you want to read the whole book or not? I hope you don't do that. Uh, But I know some people that do, and... uh, that, that's up to you, but, but God doesn't even do that. He already knows everything. God doesn't think because He knows. He doesn't have to figure anything out because He already has the answers. And Jesus left heaven's glory. He was the focus All eyes were fixed on Him. All praise is to the Lamb that was slain. And through the centuries, God and the angels had rejoiced. But now, things came to the point in time where Jesus would do those things that were spoken of. And all of a sudden, there was a cry heard in Bethlehem's manger. 
as Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, took upon Him human flesh. The writer of Hebrews talks about all the different ways that God revealed Himself to us and and told us about Himself. But the greatest was Bethlehem's manger. And we celebrate that on Christmas Eve, do we not? As Jesus journeyed from heaven's glory to Bethlehem's poverty. You know, if he had been born in a palace, as a king should be born in a palace, the poor might say that he is above us and, and we have no right to him, but even the poorest of the poor was usually born in a house. Not in the manger. My thoughts, and they are my thoughts alone, and uh, uh, maybe it's just my imagination, but I couldn't couldn't imagine if if my brother or my cousin came to me and said, "My wife is about to deliver a baby," that we wouldn't find some place better than a manger for them to do it. I mean, how about you? Does that? Am I the only one that thinks that way? Wouldn't you, if some member of your family was going to give birth, wouldn't you, even if they were a distant cousin you didn't know very well, wouldn't you do something? But of course, there was just that little cloud of doubt because the calendar didn't work out exactly perfectly with Mary and Joseph because God had intervened. And rather than trusting the character of Mary and Joseph as holy and godly people, They were left to Bethlehem's manger, out where the animals were. That was a big deal in those days. People had pedigrees. Today, it's dogs and cats. I don't get that. But I don't get people having pedigrees either, honestly. But the simple truth was, no one, who has ever lived among human beings, can say that Jesus is too high to reach out to me. Amen? That was the journey he made from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, from the, uh, I can't remember which preacher, I think it was Lester Roloff, called him Heaven's Darling. And uh, Jesus was the center of worship. It's no, there's nothing to be misunderstood why God sent all the angels of heaven to sing to the shepherds. And why those shepherds came through and worshipped Him that night. And two years later, the wise men came and worshipped. Then Jesus goes to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. And we don't hear a sound from the time that he was three or four years old until he was 12 years old. Then one short story in the book of Luke. His parents went to Passover. Jesus, being of age, was taken with them, 12 years old. Uh, that's the age the Jewish people still bar mitzvah their boys. And uh, I guess they now have to have equal rights even among the Jewish people. So they bat mitzvah the girls and... Uh, that was not a biblical tradition, but the uh, Jesus was taken, and where, where did he go? He went to the temple. 
he was talking with the doctors. And could you imagine these learned men who had spent their whole lives studying the Scripture, listening to this little boy, this teenager who had never been to their schools, quoting Scripture to them. It was an amazing thing. And he had all the answers. How did he know the Scriptures? He was the living Word. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you really knew what was going on and you had the answers and no one else did and you kept your mouth shut? I mean, hey, wait a minute. This is my moment to shine here. I I, I actually know the answer this time. I'm not just the wallflower. I'm going to... But Jesus was quiet. He, he spent this one episode here, but we have no history of him ever repeating that. If you want to learn something about men, and I'll just throw this out, really has just a very um, slight trajectory toward the sermon here. But we, we have all these people offering all these conspiracy theories about everything. Let me, let me tell you something. There's only one man in the history of mankind that had power that he refused to exercise. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Any man who thinks he has power tries to do it. That's why Hitler invaded Russia and destroyed his Third Reich. And we're thankful that that happened. But he thought he had the power. That's why Hillary lost the election. Okay, let's keep moving here. I just had to get that one in. Sorry. They think they have the power. No one who thinks they have the power refuses to exercise it. But Jesus did. You know why? Because it wasn't time yet. Eighteen years from he was twelve till he was thirty. You know what he did? He learned carpentry. And people have made up stories where Jesus cut the board too short and he touched it and made it the right length. That stuff just boils my blood. He always cut it the right length. You know how frustrating that had to be to Joseph? I mean, he had to learn. Yes, he had to teach his hands. But once he was taught, he also was God. He wasn't going to cut corners and pretend to do things wrong to please Joseph. He was going to do things the way that they should be done. And yet, when Joseph and Mary corrected him and disciplined him for spending time in the temple, he willingly took it without a whimper. That's what the Bible tells us. He was subject unto them in Luke chapter 2. This was the journey of Jesus. How would you like to be so misunderstood? 
that your own parents had no idea what your life was about. That was Jesus. And he endured all those things. Then he comes to John. And John says, Well, wait a minute. You're supposed to baptize me, not me, you. And what was Jesus' answer? Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said, If I'm going to be obedient to the Father, you must baptize me. Could you imagine being John? He says, I'm not worthy to bear your shoes. That was his... Now you want me to baptize you? Well, that's God's way. You see, even Jesus submitted his authority to John because there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And we follow that same example today. If you're not willing to submit to the authority of a local Bible-believing Baptist church, why would you want to be a member here? Jesus submitted to the authority of John, not because he needed John, because that was God's plan. That was to fulfill the testimony. Jesus did not need to get saved. People believe that baptism is salvation, and that's just simply not true. Baptism is the testimony of the invisible work of God already done in your life at the moment you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And when Jesus came up out of that water after being immersed by John the Baptist, God spoke from heaven, sending the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove upon him. And we have the Trinity of God revealed physically to mankind at one moment. As God the Son stood there dripping wet, coming up out of the water, God the Father spoke from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descended in the form of the dove and rested upon him, giving testimony that this man was different than any other man. And yet, as Jesus taught, what happened? He healed the man of the palsy. What did he say? What did the Pharisees say? Who can forgive sins but God alone? We know he's not God. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? The Pharisees, the scribes, the priests had already decided if any man confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, he was to be put out of Judaism, he was to be cut off from the temple and all the synagogues in Jewish society because they would not accept him as their Messiah. And yet, even as he hung on the cross, those that passed him by. Let's, let's just take a moment and go to uh, Matthew chapter 27. You see, the journey of Christ did not begin at Bethlehem's manger. It was just one of the stopping points. It began in heaven as he left there to come here to live on this earth. Bethlehem was the starting of that point on earth. Now let's just start reading in verse 35. 
It says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he had said, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. You read your Bible, the very statements that are quoted here in the book of Matthew as being said on that day were written in the Bible a thousand years before Jesus was born. This was the journey of our Lord and Savior. He was, according to Isaiah 53, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich. He was crucified between two thieves. And he was buried by the two richest men that lived in Judaism at that time. But Sunday morning... Things happened. I love the story. The guards, the Roman soldiers, they acted like dead men. They fell down on the ground. And then they went to the, the chief priest because they knew that they had gotten into this thing by their conniving and that they'd figure a way out of it. See, the price for a Roman guard in dereliction of duty, was not pleasant at all. Normally, if your centurion or captain wanted to be nice to you for derelict of duty, they would crucify you upside down. If they wanted to be mean, they would torture you very slowly and very carefully until you died. They would prolong death as long as it possibly could be done, because they wanted to prove to the other soldiers, you did not disobey orders in the Roman army. When they put that Roman seal on the tomb of Jesus, that meant that all the power of Rome was to enforce that thing. How in the world those chief priests got around that by giving money to the soldiers and paying off Pilate and all the things that had to be done is, would be an amazing story in and of itself if we knew the details, but we don't. We know the lies still repeated. I have a Jewish history book left here by the synagogue that says exactly what the Bible says, that the disciples robbed the tomb while the guards slept. Let me tell you something. If you knew anything about the Roman soldiers... You had to know what a lie that was. 
But I'll tell you what, just like the evolutionist, when you can't have the truth, you grab a hold of the best lie you got. And that's what you hold on to. And that's what people did. And that's the journey of Jesus. And let's go to Acts chapter 1. You see, he left heaven's glory. He was born in Bethlehem's manger. He was despised and blasphemed by men. Finally, he went to the cross. Not for his sins, but for ours. Praise God, the cross wasn't the end of the road for Jesus because three days later there was an empty tomb. But Acts 1.11 says, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We have a promise that Jesus is coming back. Can we say amen to that? And just a few more verses and we're done tonight. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called... The Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Turn the page or two, if you would, to chapter 21 and verse 21. I'm sorry. Verse, um, yes, 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Kind of sounds like Revelation chapter 4 and 5 just a little bit, doesn't it? There's no temple in the New Jerusalem because God the Father and God the Son are there and we worship them and we'll worship them in the New Jerusalem. I want you to look at one last verse, if you would. John chapter 21. And really, this is the entire sermon in just one verse. We studied the journey that Jesus made from heaven's glory, and one day He will return to heaven's glory. And we will be with Him. Verse 22 Jesus saith unto him, 
If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Read those last three words with me, if you would. Follow thou me. That's the message, isn't it? You see, Jesus did all that traveling, endured all of that suffering, so that you and I could follow Him. Would you think about that as you open your presence either tonight or tomorrow? Would you think about following Jesus as you go through this week? Would you think about Jesus as you go back to work? Would you think about Jesus when you come back for Wednesday night? And by the way, I was supposed to let you know, we will also have a Thursday night service here at Open Door. And so we would encourage you to be here for both if you possibly can. Um, But uh, what we're supposed to do is follow Jesus. He has walked the way. He is in heaven waiting to bring us to be where He is. Then He's going to bring us down to earth for a thousand years and then we will rule and reign with Him forever and ever. I'll tell you what. I want to follow Him. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask now that You would help us that You would work in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, that we would understand that it's not about us. It's about You. Lord, You have done so much for us and You ask for us to do so little in return. And yet, Lord, we struggle and scoff even at that. We would ask that You would would work in our hearts that we may be your servants and that our worship would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we close the service, we'll just have the piano playing. If you need to slip out and spend a few moments...